Praise the Lord. Into thy presence we come, not by the works we have done, but by thy grace and thy grace alone. Into thy presence we come. Heavenly Father, we come to your word now this morning, and Father, I just pray, Lord. Father, I pray that you will touch my lips, my mind, my breath, Father, my voice, as I'm going to use it, Lord, to read your holy scriptures, to preach your holy word. And Father, I just pray for everybody in this place this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will guard their minds, Father, let them hear your word this morning, and let them hear and receive your word with gladness in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. 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 So I want to continue preaching this morning on uh, the letter of John. As you know, we're going through the letter of John. We are currently in chapter, one, uh, chapter 2. And we are going to look at the second part of the dangers of loving the world. If you were not here last week, it's on YouTube. And I highly recommend you go and listen to that on YouTube. The first part, because I, I, I uncovered and, and packed for you a few things about the world. The dangers of living in the world. And we are reading from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If you've got your Bibles open, please read with me as I read for you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Word of God says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Everybody say in. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world and the things in the world. Verse 17, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The Lord bless the public reading of his word. This is not the first time that you've heard that, because you've heard it last week. Amen? So this is the word of God. It's the Holy Scriptures. This is the inspiration from God that he laid upon a man by the name of John to write down to the people in this church today. Remember, the Word of God has got a threefold application. It was written for the people in John's day. There was a church, and this letter was sent to them so that they could hear these words. But it was also a prophetic letter. It was written for Kingsway Karam Downs today. And if you thought this morning you just woke up and you decided to come to this church this morning, I want to tell you something else. I believe that God directs footsteps. And He directed your footsteps to be here today on this date, to hear these words again. But then there's also a personal application. You need to look and hear to the, at, at these words and you need to say, God, what do you want to tell me today? What do I have to hear today so that my faith can grow? This is a very profound statement from John. He's talking about our world. And you remember, if you were here last week, I unpacked it for you, these two words here. The word love and the word world. And the word there is the word agape. Agape means it's a sacrificial love. 
It means you are sacrificing something for somebody or for something. You are giving something up for it. It's not just uh, something that you see. You are paying a price for what you are going to do or what you're going to love. It's a price you pay. It costs you something. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He gave up his son for you and for me. And this is what the word means here. He says, do not agape the world. And you remember what we said about the world. The world is nature. The world is people. But it's also the system of people. It is what people do and love. It is the evil things in the world. It's the pleasures of the world and those things. Those three things. And what he's saying here, do not. Everybody say do not. That's a negative. He says, do not love the world. He says, do not sacrifice your time for the worldly goods. Do not sacrifice your attention for the worldly goods. Do not sacrifice your expense for the worldly goods. And that's a quick test for you this morning, isn't it? Just ask yourself this morning, what are you spending most of your time on? What are you spending it on? And what is it? And it could be anything which you may class as not a sin. But if you spend your time on that thing, just, just quickly think for yourself. Is it your job that you're spending so much time on? For what? For the money of the job. For the status of the job. Now, job in itself is not a sin. You need to do that. God says we need to labor. But here it is. Do not love. Do not sacrifice everything you've got, all of your time, on that one thing. Or on that attention on that one thing. And your expense. Because the world is after that. You turn on every telly this morning, television, and you see all the advertisement is for what? It is for your time. It is for your attention, and it is for your expenses. That is what everybody is looking for from you, because they know if they've got it from you, they hook you in, and they've got you for life. And this is what John says with those words, if we bring it back into layman terms. Now, the thing is, we should sacrifice our time for God, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? The, the reason why your life is such a mess, listen to me this morning. The reason why your life is such a mess is you're not spending enough time on God. Some people just spend Sundays on God. That's all. That's just this hour. And then they hurry me up to preach faster or to preach shorter. Come on, hurry it up because we've got a life out there waiting for us. We want to go do things, see things. You see, do things. I, I need to go and spend my time out there. And, and I need to go and give my attention. And it's going to cost me a lot of money to do that. But when it comes to God, oh no, it's poor then. I'm poor for time. I'm poor for attention. And I'm poor for my expenses. Isn't that what is going on in the world right now? Hence, hence, listen to me now. Hence, John says, do not love the world or the things everybody say things things in the world he says do not love those things we can use them but do not love them because we live in this world aren't we have you noticed hello we're not on a small island and i'm not going to pull you off to a small island in the caribbean somewhere although we would all love it isn't it the love the, the, the agape island the love of god island i won't pull you there no we live in this world now john asked the question if you remember and i've heard my brother said it at the table he asked the question how do you know that you know him 
That's a good question this morning. Have you answered it for your life? How do you know this morning that you know him? And he goes on these tests, John. He writes through this whole letter for us. This is just revision, by the way. He says, now by this we know that we know him if we confessed our sins. If we, have you confessed your sins? Have you done what the brother said at the table to say, I'm guilty? Or are you one of those proud people and say, no, 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 I'm not a sinner. I was born perfect. I had the perfect parents. I was raised in a church. No, no, no. My, my, listen to me, my friend. You were born in sin, whether you like it or not. You were born in a sinful nature. And he says here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But you have to confess your sins. You have to confess them. And then he says, we know that we know him if we do what? Walk in the light. Remember that? For God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So why is it that if you proclaim that you're a child of God, if you say you walk in the light, but you have gray areas in your life? You see? It is so clear. It is so perfect. You know that you know him if you walk in the light. But you know better than me how you walk. You don't have to impress me. You don't have to do things in front of me to see, oh, he or she is walking in the light. You know whether you are walking in the light. And who knows as well? God knows you are walking in the light. And who knows as well? The devil knows you are not walking in the light. Because he will attack you on those gray areas. He will pull you towards the darkness. And this is where it is one of those things that he says, you know that you know him if you walk in the light. And then we saw a few weeks ago, he says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And by the way, if you were here that day, it's not ticking off on the Ten Commandments that came down on the mountain. It's all in there. But he says on these two commandments hangs the whole law and prophets. What are they? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And you shall love thy neighbor. And how is it then? How is it then that if you say that you love, if you say, you remember so many times that John uses the word if you say. We are a people of talking, aren't we? It is amazing. We've got two ears to hear, but we use our mouth twice before we listen. Yes? We're a people of talking. That is what we do. We like to say how good we are, but we are not. This is what he pray, And this is why a lot of people don't like the Bible. Remember last week what I said to you? Some people want to write their own Bibles. They want to cut out the pieces that doesn't fit them. It doesn't fit me to hear these things. Oh, I won't come to that church because they preach too straight and narrow down the line. Well, praise the Lord, you're in the right place. And here it is, we are a people of talking. If you say that you love the Lord, but you hate your brother, you are but lying. He says you're a liar. Oh, but you walk around and you show everybody the laugh and you show to those people that you want to laugh. But the ones that you don't want to laugh, that is where the test comes from. It's the ones you don't want to laugh. You see, this is how it is with God and me. Because when I was a sinner, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, he died for me. I mean, you should have seen me before the Lord saved my soul. You wouldn't have liked me. Honestly, you wouldn't have liked me at all. You would have said, stay away with that guy. But he loved me even when I was like that, yes? And this is what it is. He says, how is it then that you say you love, but if you hate your brother, then you're a liar. 
And now he says today, he says, you know that you know him well if you do not love the world and the things of the world. You see, this is a very forceful statement, isn't it? It goes in against the grain of this world right now. And if you were brought up, and if your parents didn't teach you Christ, it takes a miracle to come across somebody to can show you Christ. This is a forceful statement. Because it says straight down the line, it says, The person who loves the world does not know God. That's what it says. Isn't that right? It says it right there. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And if the love of the Father is not in you, what does it else mean that you do not know God? How do you know God? He pours His love inside of you. And how do you become known Him better? You start reading. I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm married now happily with my beautiful wife. When I met her, I, I didn't fall in love, remember? I chose to love my wife, and we spent time together. And as we love one another, we start knowing each other better. You see, this is what love do. Love do that. But if you love the world, there's no place and space for the love of the Father. How can you then say you know Him? If you don't carry his love in your heart. Yes? It's so quiet in here. But is it true? I'm going to say it anyway, brother. It is so true. He, you know, it is a forceful statement. And a lot of people don't want this. You know, for some people, their faith is so weak that even if they hear these words, they want to run away. No, no. We need to understand what it means. If a person loves the world, he does not know God. No matter what the person's feelings is or what he thinks, the scripture is very clear here this morning. And like I say, it is very forceful. Now, I want to introduce you to two types of people this morning. The professing man and the obedient man. Now, what is a professing man? Well, everybody who sits in, here, in, in this church, can you just put up your hand if you call yourself a Christian? Now I can see who's listening and who's already sleeping. Can you just put up your hand if you say, I'm a born-again child of God? You are professing that, isn't it? That is a professing man. Now, I'm not saying everybody falls under this this morning in this church, and I pray not. But there's a lot of people who's professing that they are children of God. And this is whom John is writing this to, remember? He's not writing it to the people who's driving past here on the way to Bunnings. They would have been sitting here this morning. But the professing Christians, he's writing it to them. He's writing it to the children of God. He's writing it to the church. He's writing it to the people who say that they are Christians. And this is the professing man. He says, the professing man loves the world, and, and the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world, and the world is passing away. Now he's talking about those people who are sitting in church with masks on. Now, I'm not saying everybody here this morning is sitting with masks on. But these are professing. And then the obedient man is the one who do the will of God. Now, we know this about a professing man here. What do we know about this man that he's saying? He says, this man loves the world. He's sitting in church, but he loves the world. He's sitting in church, but he's got the lust of the flesh. We know what the lust of the flesh is. I spoke about it last week. If it, it goes back to, to the Garden of Eden, you see it is good and you think, man, it's going to make me feel so good if I do that. That sin that you do, that stuff that you are watching, you go, man, it's going to make me feel so good. I crave for it. 
It's the lust of the flesh. He says there's a man sitting in church and he's got the lust of the eyes. You see, he looks at things and he goes, man, I like it and I need to have it. I need to have it because I like it. It's good on the eyes. He says there's people who's professing to be Christians, but they've got the pride of life. You know, I need to reach a stage. I need to be the boss. I need to have the status. I need to study another degree and another degree and another degree. Not to get to suit and look after my family, but let people see all of the degrees that runs down my jacket. This is some people who are sitting in church. He says, but these people who are sitting in church and, and they're professing all of these things, but they love the world and these things. What's going to happen to them? Like the world, they're going to pass away. That's a professing man. That's the first man he's talking about. He says, loving, you see, brothers and sisters, loving the world is not something that just happens suddenly with you. Some people go, oh, but I just all of a sudden got this over me. No, it's a gradual thing that happened with you. You start floating away from God. You started on fire in the church. You started on fire for God, but then gradually you start floating away towards the world. You start gradually seeing things and you go, oh, why is it so that if they, the, the people who's not in the church, they can have so much more fun and we are Christians, we are so boring. Have you heard that? I've heard it so many times in my life. Young people, they say, we don't want to serve God because it, it seems the world is having so much more fun. And gradually they, they just drift away a little bit more towards that. And, and it's the things we see. Why is it that I can't have these nice and glitty things and so on? Again, I say to you, you know, there's no sin in that. But if it takes away your time, your attention, and your expense, this is where it comes in. The love of the world. Money is not the problem, it's the love for money that's the problem. That's the Bible verse. The love of money, the love of getting more, the love of buying it to show off to every, everybody else, the love of walking around with all the flashy things so that people can see I'm successful. You see, that's the professing man. And let me tell you, the church is sitting full of it. Full of it. I'm not asking you this morning, I'm telling you, because the spirit of the world has entered into the church. How is it that the church is now trying to look like the professing man? Look like the world. We dress like the world. We talk like the world. We make music like the world. Yes. And this is what he's talking about here. You see, these things don't happen just suddenly. But I want to take you now to Paul because Paul talks about the same thing. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. I love this, this verse. I love it. Have you got it underlined in your Bible? He says there, and, and be not conformed. Everybody say conformed. Be not conformed to what? To this world. It's the same message. It's the same message that John is saying. Do not love the world and the things of the world. He says here, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Let's look at that word conformed there. It comes from the Greek word Sunsis matizo. I hope I said that right. But anyway, you see it on the board there. Conformed is from that Greek word. The root word there is schema. Now, schema means fashion. Who likes my jacket I've got on today? One or two? This is fashion, okay? It's about fashion. He says the word there is schema means fashion. It, 
It means the outward form of somebody. Now, Paul uses this word specifically under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why would he say this? It means the appearance of a person that changes from day to day. And we all do this. We all go through this. We all, this word is so every day in our lives. Why? Because you get up in the morning and you took on your clothes for work. You put on your clothes for work, isn't it? And when you go to your workplace, I mean, Oral comes in here and he's got a uniform for work. And when he comes in with his uniform, I know he's on his way to, to the work. And then he comes home and he, he dresses up for church. You haven't got your uniform on today, brother. So this is what it means. It, it means it changes on the outside. And, and if you go out for dinner, you're going to put something decent on for your wife, isn't it? So he says, what we are doing in this word, schema, it means we are putting on different jackets, different things on the outside. And if you look at somebody on the outside, you can tell who they are on the outside. He says, this is what it is, that word, schemaso. He says, and be not conformed to this world. Because you see, the thing is, brothers and sisters, the professing man, the idea here is to fashion your life according to the world that means if you're in your workplace all of a sudden you become like one of the workplace men and when you come into church all of a sudden you change something changes on the inside it is the outside thing that you put on that influences your inside you constantly change on the inside that is what conformity is when i'm with the boys i do what the boys do but when I'm standing in church and they sing hallelujah, what a thought, Jesus, you know, what do I do? I do like the whole church do it. That is schema. He says there's something wrong on the inside. You are conforming every single time just to be in. You are doing what the world's doing. This is what Paul is saying. He says, be not conformed to this world. You are forming every single way. And this is what I'm saying, and I'm saying it with sadness in my heart. Why is it that the church had to change in our day and age? Back in the day, and I remember it was still in my time, the church was different from the world. You could come into the church and you see difference from the world, but these days you can't see it. You, they can stand next to each other, you can't see a difference. This schema, you are conformed to the world. Do not love the things of the world and the things in the world. He says, but what do we need to do? We need to be conformed, uh, transformed, I beg your pardon. He says, but be ye transformed. Everybody say transformed. transformed. The Greek word here is metamorphosi. We know where our English word comes from, isn't it? Metamorphosis. What is a metamorphosis? You change totally. You change totally. The root word here is morphe, which means the real being of a man. It means what is on the inside of this jacket. That is the inside. Of, that's the really who you are. You see, some people are using the flesh on the outside to hide from who they are really on the inside. You just look at people. You, you talk to me. You say, how are you doing? And they had a bad week. Oh, no, it was a good week. Thank you. And you can see it's a fake smile, but you smile with them. Am I talking to real people here this morning? 
But the real you on the inside is so hurting. And this is what this word is, the metamorphic, the real person on the inside. You see, the appearance still changes from day to day like, like the previous one. But it's not the man that changes. You see, you, you, you dress for work, you dress for church, you dress for dinner, but the inward man stays the same. This is why my brother Oral can go to his workplace. He puts on his work uniform, but he walks in there as a child of God. If they swear, he says, I don't like it. If they talk about this, he professes Jesus Christ. And this is what it is. You, nothing on the outward world will rub off in the inside. Why? Because I'm a new creation. Amen. Who's a new creation here this morning? Then live like a new creation, these men says. John says, live like a new creation. You see, the obedient man, the idea here is that nothing in the world can change this man. Now, let me ask you the question. Is all of those things in the world still there? Of course they are still there. I mean, you just need to drive from here to the city, as I've done a few times this week, and you see all the billboards there. All the billboards there. And I'm telling you now, 20 years ago, maybe even not so far, 30 years ago, the things which is on those billboards will be called blasphemy. You know, we see these days how they portray women on those billboards without scarce clothes on them. And you drive as a Christian man and you look up, you've seen it, you've seen it. Come on, be with me here this morning. It's not as if you're going to go, oh no, boom, you bump into another car. It's right there. It catches you. They highlight it. They put it all up there for you to see. But what do you do after you've seen it? What matters? This is where the confirmation and transformation takes place. It starts with you. You are not going to change this world. Let me tell you now. It's coming like a freight train out of run. There's no brakes on this train. You are not going to change the people advertising. It's gone too far. It's gone too far. You know, we can walk and we can march with all of our church placades around and say, we don't like the billboards. Who's going to change that? They're going to laugh at you. You know, we should pray against that. That's what we do. That's the, that's the weapons, the spiritual weapons. But it starts with you this morning because he's talking about the professing man and the obedient man. Who are you this morning? Are you but just professing I'm a child of God when it is convenient to do that? It's another hard message this morning, Mark, isn't it? But we need to think. We need to think what's going on around us. You see, he says, be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Everybody say mind. This is right up here. What does it mean in layman terms? It means you need to change your mind about how you think and how you see things and what you decide on. You change your mind. That is what repentance is, by the way. Being born, you change your mind. Things that I used to do, I changed my mind. It's not good anymore. And this is what he says, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect what? Will of God. Will of God. You see, John say there's three things that pull people to the love of the world. Three things. For it's all in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I said to you last time, the devil's plan is exactly the same as it was in Genesis. Right the same. He hasn't changed it. Because it's working. <laughs> Hallelujah. He got Eve, didn't he? Yes. And through Eve he got Adam, didn't he? 
And through Adam, he got all of his children. And where's Adam's children this day? And we are all Adam's children. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, we come from one. Amen. He got us all. So the same trick happens over and over and over again. And guess what? We all fall for it over and over and over again. Except you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is my prayer this morning. You see, this is how it works, brothers and sisters. The world dishes these things up in different ways. The devil does. He uses nature. We start to enjoy nature above worshiping God. You say to me, what? You want to say going out in nature is a sin? No, I didn't say that. But nature is wonderful, isn't it? I, I remember the times that I was out in nature and I was fishing. I love fishing. You go out on a charter and you hook the big one on the line. Man, it gives you a thrill. Who's been there? Some people fishing. Who loves their fishing? And who loves going out playing golf? Who's the golfers? Is it only me? But you see, we're out in nature. You can talk to me about this. I walk out there and you hit this little white ball, but you look at the trees. I, I remember fondly in New Zealand, brother, hey, in New Zealand, you know, they down it in Queenstown. I was playing golf there and I looked back at the remarkables and it was full of snow. I still can see that. But here is the thing, brothers and sisters, if you start worshiping nature and putting nature above God, what is happening? You are drifting away. Now, I, I remember there was a brother one day in church. Oh, he was there from the beginning. He was in church and his family was in church and they were really good attending church and they were growing in the word until they bought a boat. Until they bought a boat. Oh, you want to tell me now that buying a boat is a sin? No, I'm not saying that. But then all of a sudden, he calls me up and he goes, Oh, Pastor, you know, it's Sunday, it's beautiful out there, and you know, we should enjoy nature and be out there, and started going on a Sunday morning out on the boat. I'm enjoying nature. I'll say my five-minute prayer, Lord, help me on this so that we come back safe. And you know what happened? True story, this brother... It happened again the next Sunday, calling up. He says, well, I know it's two Sundays in a row, Pastor, but you know, the family really enjoyed it. And you know, the word says we need to spend time with the family. And you know what I always say? Go, brother, God bless your heart. And by the fourth and the sixth and the seventh Sunday, he didn't call anymore. You see, this is what happens with the things of the world. Now, I'm not saying going out is a sin. This is not what John's saying. This is not what Paul's saying. But if it starts taking your time, your attention, and your expenses towards that, and self-ratification, that is where it's going. The same with people. You know, who knows that the world consists out of people? It's true. Yeah, here we sit. <laughs> we keep this thing going. We keep it going. And, and the same here. You see, if you're more involved in social organization and politics, and you know what happens? You start drifting away from God. I'm not only trying for church. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Hear me clearly. You don't have to be here next Sunday. If there's one person, I'm going to preach this sermon the same way. I'm not trying to fill these seats this morning, but listen to me this morning. It comes like this. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we've got this social thing going on on a Sunday. Pastor, you will understand. I always understand. I do, honestly. But God hears you. 
Now, I just wonder, you know, if you do not spend any time with God, and Sundays is the only time that you spend with God, and all of a sudden you've got a social thing on a Sunday, that takes you away that week. Then you are not going to hear from God for another two weeks. You see? You see how easy it could be? It's easy for us to show to all, oh, I'm not going to the nightclubs. No, no, I'm a professing Christian. Look at me. I don't go into those pubs and grill. You know, I don't hang around with the guys and the, and the, and the grime. No, no, no. No, no. I'm, I'm just going to go on this Sunday to our social club. Or, you know, there's something on with sport. Or, or I've I got to tell you this one. This, this is honestly, there was a lady in New Zealand as well. She's in church and every time in church and then she started coming less. And, <laughs> you know me, I just wanted to go out and say, are you okay? An older lady, and this is honestly what she told me. She said, oh, you know, bingo, it, it ends so late on a Saturday night, I can't get up on a Sunday morning. Pastor, you will understand, won't you? And I always understand. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand this morning. Let us take the lesson this morning. How do you know that you know God? Do not love the world and the things. Do I say that she shouldn't go? And do I say they shouldn't go? No, I'm not saying that this morning. I just want to do what John's doing, what Paul's doing. Make a test of your time, your attention, and your expense. Where are you spending? Listen to me, young people. I know what's going on in the world. There is so much for you to read in your, in your way of life. But let me tell, let this man tell you this morning. When I met the Lord Jesus Christ, so when he came and saved my soul in my 20s, that's the best thing that could have happened to me. Because I found joy unspeakable and full of glory. But this is it. Can you see how easy it is? That he uses the lust of the flesh to bring you into nature. He uses it to bring you into people. The lust of the eyes in nature and people. It, it, works, like, it works like a spaghetti all over the place. You've got to be careful how you tread through this. And then what about pleasures? I mean, I can talk for the whole day about the pleasures of the world. Start to return to the pleasures of the world, the possessions. The possessions. You would be amazed how much money people spend on their possessions. On their possessions. And, and again, listen to me. You've been here, some of you, for years. I'm not after your money. You, for, for what it matters to me, you don't have to give this church any penny. I don't want any of your money here. Because God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Always stand on that. But let me do say this. Every single penny that you spent on your places and everything, you will give an account to God one day. And what is the one little penny you've given to God or, or for something of God? Yes? Yes, and again, you know, once the uh, offering bag goes around today, please don't put anything in if you feel offended. Do I offend you? I hope so. Praise the Lord. But you see how it works. The Word of God is so wonderful. Now I want to hurry on. I, wanna, I want to introduce you to a man called Demas. Demas. You see that man there? I want to take you. Now all of the things that I've given you teaching on, I want to apply to two men. Is that Okay. Is that okay? I was going to do it anyway, but let's do it now. Demas, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, we are introduced to this young man. It is, uh, it's Paul who writes. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, he's the doctor. And by the way, this is the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Just for those who don't know. It's the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And what other book? Acts. He wrote Acts as well. So this tells me that he traveled with Paul. 
Yes, it's interesting. It's interesting to know that fact. If you read what Luke writes, you will find a lot of the things that Paul said uh, influenced to Luke. Luke got his, his account from Peter, and he's got his account from the apostles, but uh, uh, Paul had a big influence upon his life. He says, Luke is with me, and then he says, Demas, greet you. Now, I love this. Demas is a young man, and he's with Paul. What does it mean? It means that he's going around with Paul. What is Paul doing? Is he out there fishing? Is he out there playing something? Is he out there socializing with people? What's Paul doing? He's preaching the gospel. This man stands next to Paul, shoulder to shoulder. He goes, Paul, if you go left, I go left. If you say and you preach the word of God, I'll be the one handing out tracts. If you preach and you want me to preach, I'll get on a box and I'll preach. This is Demas. I love these young people who's got a zeal for God. And he would stand up there and he would profess. I am with Paul and I'm a Christian. Who was another one who did the same thing? His name is Judas, isn't it? Judas, he kind of reminds me of Judas going around with Christ. But here is Demas walking around and, and he says, Demas greets you on fire, on fire. I love it. And then we continue a little bit further on in the journey. In Philemon, uh, uh, Paul writes, he says, Epaphras, my be uh, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. These are all men that's with Paul. As do Mark, Aristarchus, and there is Demas. Luke, my fellow laborers. Come on, let's give those guys a hand this morning. Whoa, it's so great to see Demas there. Whoa, I'm so proud of them. Here is Demas still going out. You know, people spat on them. People swear at them. People say you're a loser. And they go, you're a Christian. Are oh, hypocrites. There's just a lot of hypocrites in church. Who knows that? Who heard that one? But still we are sitting here today. You haven't run away when they say the hypocrites are in church. I always say to them, if the church is full of hypocrites, come and join. We can do with another one. <laughs> so, so it's all the hypocrites. He went through all of that. Yes. So here is Demas. Here is Luke and all of these things. And then unfortunately, brothers and sisters, we come to this verse. 2 Timothy, one of Paul's last letters that he writes. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He says, for Demas has forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me. And let me tell you, if you're standing in the ministry out there in the trenches, I've been in the army, you, you learn to trust on the person next to you. You learn to trust on that person. This is why they march you in threes, okay? I was in the army, I marched. I've done my, my things. You march in three, you've got one in your left, one in your right. That one has got one here, but he's got the other one there. But if one of those leave you, it leaves a hole in you. I feel, I feel the agony when he says for Demas, hasn't left me. Have you noticed the words that he uses here? He's forsaken me. He's forsaken me. Everything that I've put into this young man, all of the time I've spent with him praying for him, all of the, the words that I've given him, all of, all of the time that I've invested in this young man, what has he done? He's forsaken me. And what has happened? Having, everybody say that word. Guess what, word, what Greek word is used there? Agapai. He sacrificed he has having loved the present world and departed for Thessalonica. Thessalonica at that point in time was a place for pleasure. 
pleasure. All of the cities were, but Thessalonica, he went for the bright lights. This young man, the professing man, he would have said, I love Christ. Hallelujah. Victory, yes, victory. He would have sang that songs. He would have been out there. He would have proclaimed Jesus Christ to the crowds. But something happened. You see, the thing with this man, Demas, this is the word that he said. He was starting to get conformed to the world. He wore the right clothing every single time Paul went out. But on the inside, there was no renewing. I'm a new creation. All things have passed away. You see, this is what we need to. Do you know that you know him this morning? This is a silly thing that some might say, John is saying. What, the world? Of course we're living in the world, but you need to know. Are you after the next new craving in the world? Just go and look at those people when the Apple, new Apple phone comes out. They will sleep. How long? Richard, how long will they sleep out there in the street for a night, two nights for the new phone? Yeah? Have you seen that? I spoke to a guy during the week, and they, they're into the Jordan runners. Who knows the Jordan runners makes good money and so on. He's telling me a, a crazy story. He said back in the day when they came out, they would sit there for three to four days, rain, sun, doesn't matter, for the new one. And that is it. That is what I'm talking about. Here he comes. He says, Demas never was renewed on the inside. Young man, he was never redeemed on the inside. He was never renewed on the inside. He put, put on the jacket. He came in church. He sat. But he just sat there and started drifting. Let me tell you something about drifting, okay? I've been in South Africa. I've, I've had a canoe. Who knows what's a canoe? It's not a kayak, okay? Kayak is Kiwi and Aussie. In South Africa, we had canoes. <laughs> and we had the Vaal River. The Vaal River is like the, the mighty, what is this other river running near Muldura? Murray. The Murray. Some places it goes slow. And some places, when, when the rocks get closer to the surface, you get these rapids. You know what I'm talking about. And I remember me and my, my nephews, we used to get on the canoes, and we used to lie on our backs and just float down the river. But we've got oars. And if we want to go in a direction, you put the oars in, and you put effort in. Yes, it takes effort. Man, I was more buff when I was young. You know, effort, you go. But once you come down to the rapids, it was always fun down the rapids. Why? Because you go fast down there, man. You've got to be really quick. But then we tried to, to go with the oars against the rapids. That takes a lot of effort, man. You go, you go really, but you only go one, two, three, four steps ahead, and then you go back again. This reminds me of that. The moment your oars are in the water, you go somewhere. You've got momentum. The moment you take your oars out of the water, you start floating. And this is the same thing. The moment you start reading your Bible, the moment you start praying, the moment you start hanging around the church folk or people of God, you are floating, my brother. And where are you floating? You always float towards the sea. You always float towards the world. This is what happens. I remember these times that we couldn't. We look at the rapids and go, no way. So we had to come around and take our canoes out and walk them over the cliff edges to get back. Do not float this morning. Let me finish this morning. I want to introduce you to another man. Meet Timothy. I like Timothy. Can I say his name with a little bit of vigor? Timothy. I like this young man. Why do I like it? Let's read about this young man. 
This is what Paul writes to him. He says in verse chapter 4, verse 4, 1 Timothy 4, 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. This is not a guy that's just floating, is it? He's not a guy who took the horse out. He says, do not neglect it, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of hands of the eldership. Listen to this now. Meditate on these things. This is how you keep away from the world. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely. Everybody say entirely. Give yourself entirely over to Him. Listen to me this morning. This, this is for somebody out there. The reason why you say you make no progress in your Christian life is because you haven't given yourself entirely over to it. Somebody needs to hear that. You cannot stand with one foot in the world and one foot with God. You cannot. That's not entire. You say, but I'm giving 50% to God and 50% to the world. That's 100%. No, no. He's entirely given over to it. Now, what will happen? Look, look, the word talks for itself. What will happen if you give yourself entirely over to it? That your progress may be evident to all. How will your progress be evident to all? If you meditate on these things and give yourself in, everybody say entirely. Did I say that before? Let's say it one more time. We need to understand this principle, brothers and sisters. Listen, young people, if you're just going to follow God because my parents and because my grandparents follow God, you are just in tradition. That's all you are. I hope I offend somebody today because so that you can just hear. You need to give yourself entirely to him to make any progress. Take heed to yourself, Timothy. Don't worry about what the world is saying, what other people, but take heed to yourself and the doctrine. What is the doctrine? Doctrine is a code of belief. It's what you believe. And here we have it. Here we have it. The doctrine. It's the word. Whenever you see the word doctrine in the New Testament, it's your Bible. It's the teachings of the apostles. That's what it is. He says what? Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who? Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. How many people have you preached to? How many people sitting here today, ask yourself that question. I'm privileged because people come into the, and I'm set up here, I'm preaching from a pulpit. A lot of people, but how many have you preached to? Do you like this young man? He's not a professing man, he's an obedient man. Now let's finish, there's two more scriptures. You know me, there's one more after that. Second Timothy 1 verse 13, verse 3, I thank, thank God, this is now Paul writing, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, and without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Remember when Demas forsaken him, here is a different story. He's got a man praying for him now. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith which is in you. You remember when I said, when I went to Paul and I said, Be not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. You remember that? Morphe. It means that you have genuine faith which is in you. Doesn't matter how the world comes down on you, but your faith is genuine. Can I ask you the question? Is your faith genuine here this morning?
which dwelt first. Now look at this. This is an important thing that I come to. Which dwelt first in your grandmother, Louise, in your mother, Eunice, which I'm persuaded also in you. This is a very, very important point here. Why? Because your children will serve God how you serve God. We like to say to our children, but they look at your actions. Your children will serve God how you serve God. Now, it may happen that you are serving God and you're sitting here this morning and say, Preacher, it doesn't happen to me. Where's my children? They don't want to serve. They're out in the world. Yes, I get that. I understand that. But never in their life when you pass on to the other world will they say, my father and my mother's example got me where I am. It is their own way that they chose that they go on. Wow, these profound messages here this morning, eh, Glenn? Look at this now. He says in remembrance of this. You see, let me just say this as well. Let me just say this. The love of the world is born here. The love of God is born here. How can you tell the children to love God if you don't raise them with God? You raise them in the world. I see it so often. The world's even now advertising for your little children's eyes and ears and for their hearts and attention. But here is a grandmother, here is a mother who took their children to God. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words which I've heard from me. Faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that thing that was committed to you. Keep by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there's four things that we quickly learn from him and then we're going to pray. Four things, lessons from Timothy. One, guard your heart against the love of this world. How do we do it? We are transformed. Metamorpha. Metamorpha. Okay, for those who don't get this, you can take a photo or write it down. Stay faithful to the calling of God. Is that what Timothy did? Paul writes to him later on, just before he dies, he says, you were faithful. You were faithful. Cultivate spiritual growth. How do we do that? We meditate on the word. We pray. We learn. We hang around Christians. Surround oneself with godly influences. How do we do that? Church, prayer meetings, Bible studies, amen? The Bible says do not neglect the coming together of the saints of God, amen? Or the children of God, amen? That is me this morning. Have you learned something today? Amen. Two people, the professing Christian and the obedient child of God who stays in the will of God, amen? Who loves the word of God? I do. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Father, what a urgent message for our day. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you go with us, that you will direct us, Father, that you will help us, Lord, in this morning. Uh, Father, we hear these words to change our lives and to grow from it. Maturity, Father, comes through hearing of the word, building our faith. And Father, I just pray that you go with everybody today, online listeners as well. And Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your love that you've poured out in your hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.